Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. We are back for another NAOP Southern Nevada Programs Takeaways. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry in the March program tied this industry with another one, and that's economic development. The panelists were the brand spanking new CEO of the LVGEA, which is the Las Vegas Global Economic Alliance. That is Tina Quigley. We also had Matthias Hughes, who's vice president and investment officer for Nevada for all of Prologis. Prologis is the biggest owner of industrial properties on planet Earth. I'm not exaggerating with that last part. And our moderator was Matt Stater, research manager for Colliers International, a post that he has been in for what he called a quarter of a century. So awesome panelists, awesome moderator. There were 100, excuse me, 216 attendees in the Orleans that morning and another 74 attendees on the Zoom. The program sponsor was SR Construction, longtime sponsor and general contractor here in Southern Nevada. That's it. That's my intro. You know what comes next now. You're going to hear the actual program with the actual panelists and the actual moderator. Here it goes. Enjoy. So today we're going to be talking about economic development uh, here in, in Las Vegas. Um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of news right now about the Russia-Ukraine war. But some of you might remember back in 2020, we had this pandemic that involved closing every single hotel and retail center in town. It was kind of a big deal. And about the only thing that everybody could agree on at that time was that what emerged after those lockdowns were over was going to be different than what we had before. We were going to have a new normal. We were going to have, everything is going to be new. So we're going to look a little bit at how things have changed and how they haven't changed and maybe what the path into the future uh, looks like. Um, what I can tell you is that the, the, the Valley's economy was oddly resilient during all of this. Um, now, had the lockdowns gone on much longer, I don't think I would be telling you that. But uh, it seems like we got things back in operation just in time. Um, the retail market took a hit, but it was already seeing recovery by the end of 2020. Things were starting to move there. Office took a hit, took a little bit longer, but last quarter we started seeing some real movements in the office market. Now, industrial just kind of flew through. It was sort of blessed with e-commerce, which obviously was you know, a big deal. Uh, during during the pandemic and the lockdowns. So, you know, overall, the economy's done pretty well. The hotels have gotten back in operation. Visitor volumes, about 70, 75% of where, we, where it was. Gaming revenue, 
is actually higher than what it was. Uh, I'm assuming those little $300 bonuses people were getting in their checks, some of that money flowed into Las Vegas uh, in the hopes that people were going to hit it rich. Um, so overall, though, hospitality is doing pretty well. The conventions are coming back. We're getting, we're getting pretty good visitor uh, volume there. So overall, we're recovering economically. Um, so Tina, with the economy in recovery, um, we have some, some natural opportunities to look at diversification. You know, maybe there's some, some, some space out there that's more affordable that's going to allow people to move here that otherwise couldn't. There are obviously issues in other states that might be driving businesses here. Um, you know, this, this dovetails with, with your organization's, you know, mission. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what part do you see the LVGEA playing here sure. in the future? Okay, so um, I've been on the job for five weeks. But I have been in Southern Nevada for over 30 years. So certainly, much like all of you, we have been through boom and bust cycles. And every time we go through one, we talk about we need to diversify, you know, and then things get healthy again, and we kind of deviate. I really feel like this time, things are different. And I know we've, we've said that 100 times before. But I, I truly believe that collectively, we understand that this is the opportunity to start attracting businesses, and we, uh, out of California certainly, that, but I want to talk more about that. Um, and I'm learning how we do that. And I want to share with you um, something that just, that summarizes, I think, what the role of the Economic Development Agency is in Southern Nevada and what our collective mission is going to be as we grow um, out of those boom and bust cycles. A local economy is a place where people live and work earn and spend. Its growth is dependent on money flowing into the area, principally imported by the primary industries. To improve a local economy, an area needs to increase the number of primary businesses, which is what we're working on right now at the LVGEA. We've targeted some industries, which, this is, this is important, you guys ready, which will pay a wage higher than the area average. That is what we're going to have to start to work on. That is what truly creates a prosperous cycle of growth and diversity. To do this, the Economic Development Organization should focus on companies that can utilize the area's geographic economic assets, which we have compared to some of our other states, and that have the greatest impact by attracting more business. So um, I want to share that message with you because we're at a point where there are certain businesses that want to move here because we're cheaper. What we have to ask ourselves is, is that what we really want? Are those the jobs? Our, our role is to bring in jobs. But what I want to start having a community conversation about is, are those jobs the ones that we want to have here? Are they going to enter us into that prosperous growing cycle? Um, and I, I want to leave a, a kind of a mantra with this. I, uh, so I was with a, a girlfriend, and I'm a very practical shopper. So I was with a girlfriend. We were trying on sunglasses, and I, I tried on a pair that um, they're very expensive. But you know, I, I felt good in it. But I, I went to go buy the cheaper pair because again, I don't, I don't care what people think. You know, I don't. They're sunglasses. Just check the box. So I went to go buy them, and she's like, Tina, you are better than that. And I thought, all right, well, so I'll buy the sunglasses. I swear, you put those things, you know, and you guys know, you wear an outfit or you put something on, and all of a sudden you're like, I do 
Um, I am better than that. And I think I want to challenge us to start to recognize the types of jobs that we have attracted here, the types of industries that we are working on. Advanced manufacturing right now is a very targeted industry for us because it brings with us some of those more prosperous, higher wage jobs. I want to challenge us to you know, put on the sunglasses and start saying to ourselves, we are better than that. We don't have to just take the leftovers that want to move out of other states because we're cheaper. We do have, we have, we are very, we are competitive when it comes to energy rates and some real estate values. We have that, but, but I, I would like us to start thinking about, are they good enough for us? All right. So then industrial's out. We could do better. No, that's not no? true. Oh, no, okay. All that right. is, and, and I, You're and okay, I, I don't want you to think that all <laughs> jobs are important. All yes. jobs are important. But there are, there are industries that are going to be really right for us. And yeah. let's work on getting those. So, so speaking of industrial, though, we have Matthias here uh, from Prologist. Um, you know, the boom in industrial started well before the pandemic. The pandemic didn't seem to get in the way at all. In fact, we had this record year last year. So um, you, what, what's, what was, what's driving that boom? So, so to your point, yeah, the industrial market's been very robust over the past several years. And I don't know if you can hear me on this thing. Um, it's been very robust. And as I look out over this room, I will promise you at least one of you hoarded toilet paper. And so as we talk about sort of the Jen, come on. Uh, so as we talk about kind of the supply chain and people, users coming in, what they've really been trying to do over the last two years is reinforce and buttress their supply chain against these shocks. And we're seeing a lot of shocks to the system, whether it's manufacturing shutdowns in China now, whether it's the war in the Ukraine. Um, so these users, what they're doing is they're looking to industrial as a whole and, and saying, well, if we run out of product, we can't sell it. It's a pretty fundamental thing. And so that mindset has really been, been huge in the users uh, in the user's kind of driving decisions. The other thing is, is I think all of our spending habits have changed, right? Who goes to the store for everything anymore? I don't. I, I go to Amazon.com, our biggest customer, I might add, to, <laughs> to come in and they just deliver it to my house in a day or two. And so as our consumption, as our consumption habits have changed and these companies look to, to need to have safety stock, what we've seen is the industrial market just have massive amounts of demand. Um, so, so it sounds like a lot of that demand is coming from e-commerce, obviously. What else? Is it just e-commerce? It, it's pretty broad-based, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, you, see, you see people that need to, uh, people still do shopping stores. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, the typical consumer buying everything online. People still go to stores. Tina just went to a sunglass store. It had to come from <laughs> a warehouse somewhere. So, I mean, you see retail fulfillment, we see 3PLs, we see components, right? You gotta make stuff somewhere. Um, the boxes that your Amazon stuff goes, comes in, those have to be stored somewhere. And so we see it pretty broad-based. And these customers, you know, we call them all customers. These customers are coming to Nevada from all over. You know, I think California is a big driver of, of sort of our crazy demand we've had lately. 
but I wouldn't discount that they're coming to Nevada for a lot of different reasons, and it's not just to escape California being California. Yeah, and I mean, I could, I could chime in on that. I've, I've been tracking where tenants come from for a long time. Um, for, you know, I, well, it's now not just more than two decades. I, I now like to say a quarter century, because that makes me seem even older. Um, and I can tell you, back in the olden days, it was pretty much all California. If we had a major tenant moving here, they were coming, they were headquartered in California, maybe headquartered in Arizona. That was pretty rare. Now, California is the, almost the smallest slice of it. We get people from all over the country and from outside of the country moving into Las Vegas. So in, in some of our discussions earlier, you talked about Reno. Reno has an enormous industrial uh, supply, you know, pretty much on par with Vegas, despite being a much smaller place. So you think there's a lot more room for industrial in Las Vegas? Yeah, there's, I mean, I think we have a long runway here in Las Vegas. I mean, we call it 150 million square feet. There's 2.2 million or so people that live in the valley. And I think the other thing that we, you know, we need to think about is every week about 800,000 people come in to visit. And those are high-consuming people. So Vegas is, in and of itself, a center of consumption. And then you, you layer in the fact that you can get to Arizona, you can get to Southern California in a half-day drive, typically. That's about 9% of the US population. Um, you know, I was on this panel with, sponsored by SR about six months ago with Keith. And I think if we look at two markets that are typically you know, sort of competitors, it's us and Phoenix, right? And, and I think back to something Keith said on that discussion, and he said he was going to be on Zoom, so I'm going to keep saying his name. But um, if you go six hours south of Phoenix, you hit Mexico. If you go six hours south of Las Vegas, you hit Phoenix. So as we, we look at Vegas as sort of you know, that, that you know, strategic hub for distribution, it does have a very unique location. And then, you know, you brought up Reno. Reno's got, call it 450,000 people, and there's 100 million square feet of industrial. So it's got per capita more industrial than a lot of other markets, which poses a labor challenge. And so kind of to Tina's point, right, labor, 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 that's the biggest thing. And so, you know, this is why I'm, Vegas remains one of our highest conviction markets on the West Coast. So we've got great labor, strategic location, and just a fantastic development pipeline. So we, we're big fans of Vegas. So Tina, we're getting people from all over the, over the country, all over the world, coming to Las Vegas, um, which, is, which is somewhat of a change. Is it getting easier to attract companies to Las Vegas? Are we more on the radar? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have, the team at LVGEA had two of their highest um, metric years uh, in 2019, or 2020 and 2021. Um, over 5,000 jobs, which is is significant. So is it getting easier? Yeah, I would say that, um, or our team's just really good, oh. <laughs> but uh, that, that, and that's collective, um, that yes, that there is attention and um, attraction for, for Southern Nevada. And so you said we're, we're, we're targeting certain industries. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of those industries? So advanced manufacturing is, is probably the highest priority one right now because it does make sense because we do have a strong logistics presence here as well. We've got a trainable labor force like we talked about. It's a matter of actually getting that workforce trained. There is a, but this is just a really fun time right now because there is this very concerted collaborative effort to get workforce training programs in place between um, 
uh, CSN, between the cities and the municipalities, uh, higher ed to collaboratively train for these that target that target market. So uh, we should be seeing some a lot more growth here. And we had a huge grant application that we just submitted to the feds to infuse us with about $80 million to get a pipeline, um, get the infrastructure and pipeline of workforce training involved. Uh, forget where I was gonna go with the labor. What was the question? <laughs> uh, well, some of the other industries that we might be trying uh, to get. Oh, the other industry, okay, so have. I have, so we have seven target industries and I, in order for me to be able to remember, I created an acronym, so it's a thick B. Um, advanced and general manufacturing, transportation and logistics, uh, healthcare and healthcare services, uh, information and communications technology, clean energy, creative industry, and then uh, business and financial in industries as well. And associated with each one of those is a, is a tech component that we are, we're moving towards and trying to cultivate here in Southern Nevada. Kudos to city of Las Vegas, as you probably know, that's been very focused on startups and entrepreneurialism. And you're seeing the other municipalities jump into that as well, recognizing that we need to be cultivating those industries, again, to diversify. Yeah, and so now some of those industries you're talking about, obviously, going into industrial space, some yes. of them going into office and retail. Yep. Uh, we don't have a, a specialist up here from them, so I'm going to step in. Tell you that uh, from an office standpoint, I think the biggest change we've seen since the, the lockdowns is a real surge in demand for class B and C space, and especially smaller spaces. They seem to be disappearing rather quickly. Um, that could be somewhat inspired by people's experience during the pandemic. Um, you know, there was uh, an open office concept that was very popular right up about the time where everybody got scared and wanted to huddle in cubicles. Um, so there could be some, some advantage to older office spaces that are still a little bit more subdivided to help keep people separate from one another. Um, it could also just be a matter of people saying, uh, let me down, downgrade or downsize into, into more affordable space. I maybe have some people now working outside of the office. I don't need as much room. Maybe I can live without Class A. That being said, we're seeing a lot of Class A being built right now along the Beltway. Pre-leasing is good. So I think in the next couple quarters, we're going to see some pretty strong net absorption from the Class A office market. So that, that, that seems to be working well. Um, we're still seeing tenants moving from the east side over to the southwest. Looks like the Beltway now is starting to dominate and even drawing uh, people from Summerlin, uh, from the northwest, maybe from parts of Henderson. So that, that seems to be the epicenter right now for, for, for office space. Uh, and as I said before, retail doing very well. A um, lot of concepts out there, a lot of people trying things. Uh, when you're looking at inflation going up, it's a little bit scary. You may be a little bit worried about some of these businesses, but you know, we'll see how they weather the storm. Um, we're seeing a bonanza in multifamily sales. Um, prices, you know, things that sold three years ago are now selling for about double the price. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. That's also translating into higher rents for, for their tenants. We'll get into that later. Um, but that's definitely driving more uh, uh, construction development of multifamily. Which brings us to land. Land is also doing very well. Uh, we're also not making any more of it in the valley. And so, kind of throw this over to you, Matthias, in terms of as a developer. Is land becoming a worry? Um, you know, where are we going to be building all of this industrial space that we're going to be using in the future? 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, land is definitely the thing that keeps me up at night, right? I mean, we've got to continue to grow. And, and at this point, sites of scale are uh, unbelievably difficult to come by. And I look around and, you know, I see some of my friendly competitors around. You know, Apex is a big, it has emerged as a, a rapidly evolving force. I mean, Brendan with Dermody's here, his company took down a sizable position. Ball Corp is leasing a space up there, or they bought a building up there. Kroger bought a campus. Um, Keith with Van Trust has a fantastic site with the Vantage Project. And we're starting to see a lot of different groups go up there. And there's a lot of deal pressure. There's a lot of um, pricing pressure. And these sites, that a lot of them don't have utilities to them yet. They have topographical challenges. I mean, it's not, it's not buying 40 acres surrounded by the off-sites in place. Um, so we've seen a ton of pressure in Apex. Um, you know, we've also seen deals going down south. I mean, my hat's off to Par and the, the, the folks over at Tolls Development for their acquisition down in Gene. That's a heck of a creative deal and shows sort of what, what needs to happen in this market to continue developing industrial. You know, and you're starting to see pressure in El Dorado Valley. You're starting to see pressure in, down in Prim. Um, so all these outlying submarkets that you would, if you would have asked me pre-pandemic, like, hey, uh, it, fast forward 24 months, are you going to be looking in these spots? I would have said absolutely not. But the market has moved so quickly um, and so drastically that if you want to stay in the game, you've got to look in these areas. Yeah, I just saw where I think Toll from Reno is taken down a pretty big chunk in, uh, in Gene, essentially. Yeah, he, they're, bought, they're he bought Terribles, yeah, effectively, yeah. which is, a, again, creative and fantastic play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so w what, is, what does pre-leasing look, right look like right now for these projects you are developing? So, so I mean, we kind of track it going out two years because things that are in planning stages, you, sure. know, you, you never know when they really break ground. Um, but I think around 70 to 80% of all of the starts for 2022 are already pre-committed. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty astounding number. And then if you look forward to 2023, about 35% of those starts are already pre-committed. And so, yeah, we've got a good amount of construction coming up. Um, we had a good amount of construction coming up, um, but it's not really a risky environment right now to be developing massive projects of scale. It's because there's customer pressure, there's so much demand. And I think what the risk is, honestly, in these pre-leasing deals is rents are moving so quickly, you know, it, it, if you're sitting in my seat, you don't want to lock into today's rents because tomorrow's rents are different. Um, rents move up so rapidly and we're seeing it all around the West Coast. It's kind of an astounding market. So, so Tina, you know, in, in bringing a lot of these new businesses into Las Vegas, mm -hmm. um, it, it does create opportunities for future entrepreneurship. Um, you know, if you look at, for example, Seattle, at one point in time, Seattle is a blue-collar town. It's Boeing, it's shipbuilding, that's, that's pretty much it. Now it's looked at as a tech hub. Mm -hmm. And it look, it's a tech hub because some guy in a garage well, frankly, stole an idea from another guy in a garage <laughs> I saw that who movie. stole an idea yeah. from Xerox. But, um, you know, no, nevertheless, it, it, it creates Microsoft and Seattle becomes this major hub. Are, are we going to maybe see something like that? I mean, we talk about attracting people, but what, what, what are the opportunities for homegrown? Right. So it's a, it's a balance of both. And you're right. There's a certain kind of maturity level that happens in economic development. Um, and it's not... Uh, uh, it's not rigorous and sticks to this, but you will see generally um, assembly and those jobs associated. Then it might grow. Then it'll grow into 
so manufacturing, basic manufacturing, and transportation and logistics, and then advanced manufacturing, and then associated with that, robotics, technology, et cetera. So there is kind of an ecosystem or a, a, a natural maturing growth. Now you can um, augment that, that tech growth, that entrepreneurial growth by seeding, having programs, that accelerator programs, by um, um, state-sponsored programs for entrepreneurs and, and, and creating a tech-friendly environment, and then also working with your education system to produce the types of employees that those businesses are going to need. So it's a, it's a, you, you really need to be on parallel tracks working both. You need to be attracting those businesses, but then also growing that workforce and that, that technology. Um, so, the, so, and there are obviously challenges to that. What, what are some of the things that we can, we can, we can control, yeah. at, you know, in our economy? You kind of sure. mentioned a few there. And, and what are some of the things we can't control? So land. We, we're not making any more of that. That we, we can't control. Now we can start to have conversations with BLM about how we maybe fast track that process or, or you know, give more land, uh, get more state land. There's the lands bill, et cetera. But really, land is a constraint. And uh, to drive home the point, we had a company who was in town last week. They were looking for over 100 acres, potentially up to 4,000 employees, which is a lot of employees. Um, and there were really, when it narrowed down, there were only about three sites that they were able to go visit and uh, you know that's that's disappointing and we do sometimes lose companies because we don't have the land water is a scare water is an issue that we're going to have to talk about and i we i imagine we'll be doing that in a um collaborative way uh, a lot of community input on how we're going to deal with water the things that we can control really is is us and our, work, our workforce is something we can control. We have the bodies, we have the human capital here in Southern Nevada because we have such a large industry that employs a lot of people that move here for those jobs and we can draw from those jobs, we can train up those jobs. Whereas other places like Phoenix and Salt Lake, they're struggling more with the bodies that they need for, for the human capital part. Um, another thing that we can control, I'll, I'll be honest with you and, and candid, um, is how we act as a region um, in terms of collabor collaborating towards those target markets um, and really trying to do all that we can to, to attract those businesses by working together. I wanted to read one more quote, if I could. And sure. So I wasn't sure I'd do this, but you, you opened it up. Um, it says, there's one more issue that will determine if your area grows or declines. It's local community attitude. In order to do all the things necessary to build a prosperous economy, the support of the people and all the local governments and industries is necessary. Local laws need to encourage economic growth, not stifle it. Funding from private sector and public sector needs to be available to pay for aggressive economic development workforce programs, transportation systems, incentives, et cetera. So, what can we control? The things we can't control, we've talked about, but the things that we can control are all the human process-related factors in economic development. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Um, where are some places that LVGEA and, and NAOP can, can work um, together on these, on these issues? Well, I got to tell you, I, I, I was surprised when I um, took this job. And uh, is Don Restrepo in the room? I don't know if he is or not, but John was the, one of the, when I first was thinking about taking this job, I made phone calls to Mike Mixer, I know is in the room, he was one too, Dan Doherty. I reached out to people I knew in the community, Phil Ralston, um, to find out how does NAOP, how do the commercial brokers and LBGEA work together, how, you know, 
when we talk about an industry we want to go after, how do we c collaborate? And I was shocked to learn that there really wasn't much of a relationship at all. As it really, and that just didn't make sense to me because this is the, you guys are out there in the field regularly talking to the companies that want to move here. You have your pulse on the on what's in demand, and you have the ability to be the ambassadors for this city as to what it is that we do want. So um, how can we, I've, I've been so happy just in these few weeks to get to really know, hi, I'm, thank you so much for um, pulling Nay up, he's on his phone, but thank you for pulling together. I, I, you know, I've met with him in three, three times in three weeks um, to get with, with stakeholders in the NAOP community to find out what is going on in the community and how do we work together. Because if we do, you know, I, I think we, we have the ability to be pretty competitive for some of those, you know, we're better than that industries. That's a lot of time. So what are some things maybe Prologis would like to see uh, in terms of, of supporting, you know, industrial development in town? So I think, I think level setting, too, I mean, kind of a global, broad perspective of development in multiple markets. We in Las Vegas and greater state of Nevada are unbelievably spoiled by Las Vegas and the city of North Las Vegas and Clark County compared to if you want to do a development and say, I don't know, Compton or Los Angeles. So I mean, I, I think we're already starting at a very high level. Um, you know, continued support and real true partnership from the electeds and staff is just critical to us. And, and look, we're, there's going to be projects that come out that city staff or the residents don't love. Right? It's an it, inherent risk of development. But, you know, having those open lines of communication and, and being able to meet in the middle and say, hey, well, you know, this is the critical path for our customers, this is the critical path for your constituents, you know, continue to do that and have that open dialogue is in, incredibly invaluable to, to folks like us. Because we don't come in and want to build a building, flip it, exit, and build something out of balsa wood and duct tape. We want something that's going to last. We are big on, you know, sustainability, and we, we're in it for the long haul. And so, you know, for, if there's any electeds or staff listening, I mean, you know, just Keep taking my phone calls, I guess, is really what I'm asking you to do. <laughs> Duct tape's pretty good stuff, though, you have to admit. Well, I mean, yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that sort of set this conversation off is the question that I've been getting from a lot of people is, are we getting this mass exodus of Californians? And my answer always has to be, I don't know, because we, we rely on, on data, or at least I rely on data, and we don't have the data. You know, we took a, a census in 2020, which is not going to show it. We won't have new census data until 2030. Um, we don't have the data from driver's licenses being turned in, and that can be a year off. Um, so anecdotally, what can you guys tell us about Californians? I mean, you know, keep, mm -hmm. it, keep it nice, but um, about Californians moving into, uh, into this valley. Are, are, are you seeing companies making moves or, or bringing in tester sites? What, you know, what are you seeing? No, I would say Either yes. one. Yeah, yeah, I would say, and I, I mean, it would be anecdotally that I'd be sharing because yeah. it's just through stories of, of our, our business development team. But yeah, absolutely, California. So, so yeah, I think, again, anecdotally, as I drive around the city and I see a bunch of crazy drivers rolling around, it's, I think it's pretty clear that a lot of Californian influx has been coming in. So, um, yeah, we've, but, we've seen that for <laughs> about 40 years now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> you know, but I think here's an interesting thing, and... and uh, and it's not all users. I mean, I think you can, you can have exceptions to this. 
But what we've seen is a lot of companies sort of put their toe in the water in Las Vegas. You know, they take a smallish footprint. And in our business, you know, call it a quarter million square feet, which is a huge building. But, you know, they, and, and they put their toe in the water. And then what they want to see is they want to say, well, is it that great? Is the employment as great as everyone says it is? Is, it, is there any downside to being in Las Vegas? Is, there, is the transportation as great? Are the people as great as they think, as, as, as everybody says we are? And so they're coming in, they're testing those waters. And I actually think, and if I had to, if I had to guess, they're going to come here, they're going to love it here, and then we're going to see, see a sustained deal pressure moving forward of these companies who maybe it's a quarter million feet now, but five years it might be a half million. Five years from there it might be a million square feet of these folks that their employees don't want to pay 13% taxes and drive two hours to work. Um, and so I, I think that's uh, we're, we've seen anecdotally a lot of pressure from California. Um, now, because I'm, I'm sort of an economist, obviously, I have to try to interject, you know, the, uh, you know some, some, some darkness into this conversation. Because that's, that's what we thrive on. It's, you know. Now I'm leaving. It's the, yeah, it's, it's the dismal science. But um, the one thing I am seeing that does give me a little bit of worry, um, and I, I just saw an article come out of Phoenix about this exact same thing, um, apartment rents going up very rapidly. Um, when I tracked our rents against theirs, our rents were a little bit lower, but they were increasing at the same rate. Now, obviously, we've seen in California issues with, you know, well-paid folks who can't find a place to live. That's not happening here at this point, you know. We're not restricting the ability of developers to build apartments and to build homes. Um, but maybe the economy's restricting it a little bit, labor shortages, et cetera. Um, you know, it's something I think we need to think about is we do still have a big blue collar component in this town that, that it's getting more expensive to live here. And we have seen that definitely in California. How I, are you guys seeing any signs or any worries from people about the ability of us to cope with folks moving here from places where, you know, spending 400 grand on a house is no big deal, whereas in some neighborhoods here, you know, because I can say in my neighborhood, I, I've seen some homes sell for prices that I can't believe. And I'm living in a neighborhood that's 40, 50 years old. Um, you know, are, are there any moves or any thoughts about that, of how we keep this place affordable um, so that some of those benefits that we have remain benefits? That's a tough one, I know. Yeah, you're looking at me like I've got an answer. I mean, that, that's a, that's Well, I don't that, know that any of us have answers, but... That you know, is a question is, for an economist to answer. <laughs> so, um, that, that's tough. I would say that, you know, so it's just, it's going to be about, the market's going to balance itself out. Yeah. I, I can say that we, the wages that are going to be required to get tax incentives here in, in Nevada... Um, recently increased. So when, when employment it was above 7%, the, uh, the wages required to get uh, tax incentives were at 24, 20, 20, yeah, I think it was $24 something. We now have unemployment that has dropped below 7% over a rolling six-month average. Mm. And so that number goes back up to $26.67. Um, if that's any indicator of the fact that yeah, that things are increasing and likewise wages are going to have to increase and cost of housing is going to increase, um, then that, that's So it indicator. sounds like maybe part of the solution is going to be working towards 
uh, retraining people in town. Yeah. As some maybe jobs don't yep. become viable. Yeah. It, it, you know. So that something for everybody to think about in terms of. of um, can I, and I, I want to interject something too, again, back to the we're better than that, or the types of jobs that we're going to attract here. We have to be careful too that we do attract jobs that pay a living wage because, or pay a, yeah, a living wage. Um, otherwise, we end up, that prosperous cycle I talked about actually starts going down. When we have employees who truly are reliant on social services, um, that puts more pressure on us as taxpayers to take care of those employees. Um, when I was with the RTC, um, and you know, I'm being very candid here and open, but um, it concerned us when a, uh, an industry developed way far away out of town with you know, $17 an hour employees that didn't necessarily be able, weren't able to afford transportation because that put pressure on us to have to figure out how do we extend public transportation out to those people so they can get to their jobs. And it's very expensive to do that. We ended up working out an agreement with some of the employers uh, out there. Fanatics was a great, great partner in that where they would fund a partnership with Lyft and RTC would too. But, you know, do we really want that? I think, again, I get back to the let's, we have limited water, we have limited land, let's be pretty particular about the type of wage earners that we're bringing. Yeah, and I think that, I think it, it's a good sign that we are thinking about it, as opposed to just sort of, let's let things go. Let's, yeah. see, let's see things where, where things fall. Between NAOP, between, uh, between LVGEA, I have to keep thinking about that, that acronym. Um, uh, I you do know, too. It, it, I don't like it. It's a little long. <laughs> It's, 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 I, I yeah. say it, and then I have to say I'm sorry. It's just yeah. the economic. And you can't go Livgia. It just doesn't no, roll off the tongue. But raise um, your hand if you want to rebrand <laughs> it, because I'll tell my board that they want to be rebranded. <laughs> but you know, I think it, 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 it's a good sign that we're all thinking about these issues as the city develops, because I, I think, I think what I've seen over the last few years is Las Vegas hitting a new, maybe you could say a new plateau. Um, we're still not as major a city, say, as Phoenix, but um, we have professional sports teams here. That, that didn't happen in the old days. And believe it or not, it is a draw for companies to know that that's something they can reward their employees with, is tickets to a game, things of that nature. We're seeing these massive warehouse projects come up that, frankly, we didn't have before. You go back 20, 30 years, we had the Ross Dress for Less building, which was pretty huge up in North Las Vegas, and that was it. And then you go look at Reno, and you look at Inland Empire, and dozens of buildings, a million square feet plus. So now we're hitting that. We're obviously uh, we're on the radar for the, for the country, for the world, to put that kind of stuff here in Las Vegas. So I think that you know the signs are all good for Las Vegas. We're growing, uh, and, and more importantly, we're thinking about how we're growing and how we want to grow, and we're trying to get ahead of it um, so that we, we kind of get the future that we want and not maybe the future that people in California are dealing with right now where things got a little bit out of hand and, and maybe they're now scrambling to figure out how they get back on track. Um, I'd, I'd prefer if Las Vegas didn't do that right off the bat. Um, so I think we're right about in time for questions from the assembled host. The local live audience needs to pick up their game on some questions, just for the record. Um, it appears that water 
has kind of been the elephant in the room until lately, and now everyone's talking about it. Is education the new elephant in the room? And when we discuss advanced, I think it's new. <laughs> well, is it a is it is coming it to your you know to your desk of educated workforce when you're talking advanced technology businesses workers this and that? So you can all answer oh, any question. By the way, I think this one is, is for, you. for you. So yeah, education is is definitely an issue as it relates to workforce. Right, we want to. Um, Workforce, so education is the pipeline into workforce. And so we recognize that there needs to be a concerted effort in the K through 12 to educate students that they don't necessarily have to go to college, that we do have, we do have, there are a lot of good paying jobs that don't necessarily require college. So training those kids who maybe don't want to go to, to understand that. But then also that we have to have a very tight collaborative relationship with a higher ed system um, with CSN, with Nevada State College, with UNLV, even UNR has got some great workforce development programs that they're tailoring for the industries, even here in, in Southern Nevada. That relationship, the, the industry, the partnership between industry and education has to be really integrated in order for us to address the pipeline things. A lot of companies don't necessarily, and I, I know I've got team members in here, Perry Ursum is in here, so if I get this wrong, please, tell me. Companies, this is sad to say, they aren't that interested in, uh, they don't make their decision on whether to locate here or not based on our, on our K through 12 education system unless the CEO is moving here. Then all of a sudden they're very interested in K through 12 and in private, private schools. What do we have here? If they're just moving employees here, there's not that much of a question about our K through 12 public system. It's more about do well I have a pipeline of employees that are skilled for this particular industry? Did I answer your question, Dan? You did, and I'm gonna ask Matt also, okay. but to that point, a friend of mine's an executive recruiter, and he says when he gets the C-suite guys, they don't care about K through 12 because oh. their kids are going to private school. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I'll speak, I'll speak anecdotally on this a little bit. I, um, I'm, on a, I'm on a board for a scholarship fund um, that my father set up. It specifically targets some, um, some high schools in Henderson and lower income areas. Um, and so one of the things I do is review transcripts, you know, uh, things written by, by the kids who are applying for the scholarship. Um, the first time I did it, I go through, I, I rate all these things, and I emailed my father and I said, it is somewhat humbling to know that I'm making a decision on which kids should get a scholarship when I couldn't qualify for this scholarship in comparison with these kids. There are some phenomenally smart kids in Las Vegas. Yeah. Phenomenally smart. And these are kids coming from public schools in low-income areas in Henderson. You know they're everywhere else, too. Something that we need to think about is that we got a lot of really smart kids, and we do have some really good teachers in this town. We get caught up sometimes with some of the numbers and some of the averages, and you forget that we are producing some really quality people in this town. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave yeah, it Yeah, and, and actually we have some really great programs that UNLV has a great engineering program. We lose our engineers because yes. we don't necessarily have the jobs to employ them afterwards, yes. but so again, it's that ecosystem. Yeah, and apparently we have an amazing chemistry program at yeah. UNLV that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. I think it's one of our biggest problems here is that 
we don't hear about these things, right. and so we assume they don't exist. Right. We don't have anything here, you know. And yeah. Go, and that, we got to stop telling that story. Right? Yeah. I mean, we got Bigelow that. Airspace. I mean, we got a lot of things in Vegas that most people don't realize, um, you know. And it's it may, maybe we need to look a little bit harder at what we, at the, some of the things we do have going for us here in this town. Yeah, we're gonna need if we have media in the room, we're gonna need media's help too to help get those. Because again, we got to put the sunglasses on. We can't do that until we actually even know what what to put on. That's a bad analogy, but. <laughs> I really want to see these sunglasses. There was a Haas, <laughs> there's a Haas question about it, kind of complaining that they're not hiring locals for the higher tech wage jobs. Then the second part is Haas happening. And I'm not sure where that would fit in the panel, but it's an interesting question. Wait, do that question for me again. Because well, the first one that was kind of a complaint, like they're not hiring locals for the jobs that they want there. They're hiring people from out of town. So that addresses what we're talking about. And then okay. the second one is Haas happening. I just met with City of Henderson yesterday, and uh, they assured me that that Haas project is continuing. There's some grading going on. Um, is anybody, Brittany West, are you in the room? Okay. I'm sorry. Um, can you give her the mic real quick? Of course. I'm sorry, Brittany. I'll, it, I was not prepared. I'm sorry. Could you please stand but that, up? That no. project is, there is activity on that, on that site. There is activity. Um, I did see in a local neighborhood Facebook post that someone said, Haas is not happening. And I'm like, oh, man, that is false. It is happening. We are excited. We are ready for them. Yeah. And we do have the center of excellence. Let's, I want to I butt heads with that, that, that thought that they're not drawing or workforce locally. If that's true, that's a really big dealio because right. they, City of Henderson and CSN have partnered together specifically to create an advanced manufacturing associate degree so that we can attract and retain that type of technology. Correct. And Haas was one of the impetus. It is located near Haas. So that just, right. that better it's be happening. wrong. It's happening and we're ready. Yeah. We are ready. Yeah. <laughs> So turn that down. That's false. <laughs> That's good news. Tina just yelled at me in front of 200 people. <laughs> I just asked the questions, Tina, please. I need to know if, that, if there is any truth to that. I need to know. So, Brittany and I need to know. <laughs> in kind of a rare form, we're letting two people ask questions direct. I'm a little nervous. Advance, don't let us down. At the risk of him losing his job, I'm going to just, there's too much to write down. Uh, but what a great conversation we're having. We've been talking about economic development since Summer Hollingsworth was with NDA a billion years ago. He's and so you're carrying fun. On. I finally get I know, to meet him. He is hilarious. I know, I know. Uh, 1895, I think I started that organization. No. Um, but as we were coming in today, you and I were talking about the film industry. Yeah. And boy, does that dovetail with everything you've been talking about in terms of great paying jobs. And how can the NAOP group here mm. help? Okay. Because uh, as you probably have heard, there, were, there was a movie coming here and we didn't have the incentives in place and they went to New Mexico. Now, what a great skyline they have. So, and they're, 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 and they're making a movie, one of my favorite genres, it was a zombie movie, right. And, and our esteemed uh, videographer back there, Adam Kilburn, would tell you that content is the one thing this world is going to be in huge demand of. Yeah. So what can we do to help sure. you bring the film industry here? And by and large, 
everybody knows that, well, not everybody, but I just learned this. Um, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia has the largest sort of campus for filmmaking in the country outside of LA. But boy, I tell you what, those, those actors have to fly, what, five, six hours to get to their job? They could be here in 45 minutes. So we have all of the right components to be really an attractive uh, alternative to um, Hollywood and Georgia. Sure. So what can we do to help you do that? So um, I know in talking with Director Brown, Michael Brown of the Governor's Office of Economic Development, that is a conversation that they're having because they have been approached likewise by film studios, production studios who are very interested in locating here. But yeah, looking for you know, the economic reason too and tax um, incentives, tax credits in particular being them. So I know that Michael Brown is, Director Brown is having a conversation with the governor about that. Um, traditionally, they've been not embraced here, uh, but it is something that I know they're starting to talk about. So you say, what could NAOP do? I could say NAOP could weigh in with the governor's office of economic development and let them know that you are being approached, that we are losing some, some opportunities and uh, just, you'd be surprised how powerful your voices are. One of the nice things about being this small state is that I always say, you know, we're a population of 2.4 million people, but I know all 50 of them, right? Because we're, we're a fairly small group as it relates to, we're still small, and you do have access to your governor, and you do have access to your legislature, and when you weigh in, they do listen. So that would be my, but yeah, I'm behind you. So we have a um, really, it may be two in the weeds, but let's touch it anyhow. Does the LVGA have any plans to work with the treasurer's office going forward now that there's capital in the infrastructure bank. Oh, yes. Um, so, so you may want to just talk two seconds on the okay. infrastructure so, bank. Yeah, infrastructure bank is, is something that we were able to fund. We created it, I think, in the 2017 session. It had no money to actually go into it, but we thought, let's create it just so, just in case. Pandemic happened, we got some federal funds. They've been allocated to the state infrastructure bank. I'm still learning how we can use that state infrastructure bank, what the rules are, who is eligible for it, but it is for the purpose of advancing infrastructure and private sector is allowed to, as I understand it, I hope I'm not talking out of school, uh, allowed to take loans from it or uh, tap into it. But I need to learn more, so don't, don't quote me too much. But Infrastructure Bank is, is there and we need to learn how to use it. Anything to add, John? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, you know, if we don't have any more questions. No, I got, I got two more. Oh, well, okay. No, I meant for oh, you Oh, I'm on in this. on that topic. No, um, I, no. Infrastructure is good. It's so new, yeah. <laughs> Infrastructure is good. The infrastructure bank is newly funded. And, and, you know, I say that jokingly, but that's, that is another problem that you see in California. Mm -hmm. California has the highest gas taxes in the country. Nevada's actually not that far behind. But, you know, we actually build infrastructure here. We actually repair our roads. You know, I can remember some years back driving into California. We had this nice blacktop right to the state line. Yeah. And then it was like something from the Flintstones. Yeah, we had four lanes. You're going, like, you, can't, you can't even see a more, a more stark contrast than that. So, you know, yeah, I mean, infrastructure is something we gotta, we, we got to stay on top of, and it looks like we are. So that's another good mark. I would good, say good that we, we're on our game as it relates especially to roadway infrastructure. Uh, this was a Matthias question. So the LVGA is doing their stuff. Your company's deploying capital on their own based on your own decisions. How do those meld or not meld? Do you think of the LVGEA when you wake up in the morning or the go-ed or anything, or you just 
going straight to it. The correct answer there is yes. Yes, I wake but, up every morning. But don't make it weird. <laughs> well, if I can't make it weird, what else am I going to say? No, I, I, for, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think is I need coffee. The second thing I think is, okay, how can we, as, a, as the markets I oversee, how can we work together to, to advance? I mean, this, the, the conversation on infrastructure is one of those things that's music to my ears because that's something that, I mean, without infrastructure, without roads, without water, without power, it's just a concrete box without lights. That's not great. Um, and so as I think about it, it's like, hey, how do, we, how do we lever our scale? How do we lever our relationships and put our customers in the room with the LVGEAs, the EDONs of the world, and, and, have, ha and get synergy? So this is not a Vegas story, but I think it's a great story that's somewhat, somewhat similar. We had a sizable Japanese tool manufacturer that we did a fee build to suit of about 800,000 feet in Reno. And um, so we went to planning commission. We had, you know, we had to get a special use permit. And we got denied. We were talking hundreds, if not thousands of jobs, tens of millions of dollars of infrastructure investment. This was going to be their West Coast training facility. I mean, this thing was absolutely amazing. And you know, we got denied at planning commission which is fine, right? It happens. We ended up going to city council and winning. And one of the biggest things, and one of the biggest reasons we ended up winning that is we looped in EDON, so the northern equivalent of what mm -hmm. Tina's doing, and they called every casino owner. We had, we had the Eldorado come and speak on support, for support because it, was, it didn't just translate into, hey, jobs, warehouse, great. It was, hey, these guys are going to fly in 165 people every single week for training. That has an, an, a rippling effect on the economy. And so that's been in the back of my mind for about two, three years since we did that deal of how that can be levered together mm -hmm. to not only do what's right for the community, but do what's right for our customers. That's a great answer. That's a great story. And let me add to that, just, again, just on the general topic of infrastructure. If we're looking at issues with housing affordability, and lack of land in Las Vegas, the obvious thing is people are going to start moving a little bit outside of the valley. Um, and that's going to mean infrastructure, because those people are still going to have to come into Las Vegas mm -hmm. to work. Um, so this is something that's, that proper infrastructure planning and investment is something that can really help us with that problem as well. And that was one of the questions that I still have left, and we got one last question, but where does housing affordability play in, not affordable housing, where it's more of a project. Um, where does that simple question? I mean, you're talking supply and demand, and you know. It's a big percentage of wage housing oh, these days. And, and if you look at the way rents are going up, it's, it's pretty astounding. Um, so we got the demand, we need the supply. Again, I think that the, the advantage we have here in town is that we are not actively trying to restrict development. That's kind of the issue you get in California and some other places where it's very hard to build anything. What's working against us right now is you, you don't put up an apartment, a large apartment complex in three months. It, it, it can take a year, it can take over a year. Um, we're getting delays because of labor. We're getting delays because of, of material supply. That's exacerbating things. But we do have the projects being developed. There's more that are going to be developed. Um, I'm looking at, like I was just looking at land sales yesterday uh, for the first quarter. 
a lot of home builders buying land. So, you know, I, I think for us, um, to some degree, it's a matter of it's a matter of getting these things built. We, we, the supply is it's 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 in the pipeline. It's a matter of getting it completed. We, we are addressing it from a from a private business standpoint. Um, I think the other thing we're going to be grappling with a little bit is um, if we're bringing in people from California, New York, Illinois, they're working on a different level than we are in terms of what things cost. And so we're sort of, um, you know, just like uh, when, when, when West Germany and East Germany recombined, you know, it was two completely different economies on different scales. And it was an adjustment. It was not an easy adjustment. It's, it's sort of like that, only not so bad, but you know, we're, we're, we're bringing in people, and potentially we're bringing in telework that you know, folks who are employed in California, being paid California wages, they're living in Las Vegas. You bring in a money supply like that, it kind of, you know, you get a little bit of localized inflation. It, but, but again, it, it, it'll, it'll pass, we'll adapt, we'll adjust, it'll probably be okay. We just need to look at the long view. I, I think we're doing the things we need to do to deal with this problem, you know, as, as well as it can be dealt with. We have two minutes left. We're going to let Chip ask a question. And Thank you. If you look at the list of events for the Summer Olympics, Las Vegas has the infrastructure to handle every event except for surfing. Do you think we should get in line to host the Olympics, Summer Olympics? That's a loaded question. <laughs> let me go a little off script. The Olympic Committee is maybe one of the most corrupt organizations in the history of humankind. And I say this because many of the places that have hosted the Olympics have not fared well as a result of it. So it, you know, there's kind of a reason why it seems like a lot of those, a lot of the events now are being held in, in, in nations that have some of their own corruption problems. So it, it, it sounds like a great thing. Um, I, I, sometimes it can, it can work against you. Um, you'd have to be real careful with that. I think you're right, though. I think we could host it. Um, I think it's, you know, it makes perfect sense for us to be hosting the Super Bowl, you know, potentially F1. the World Series. I mean, we, of all the places on earth that can bring in tons of people to go watch a game or, you know, and be involved, we're, we're it. We're, we're the perfect place. I've always said that, you know, stadiums are generally a bad investment for cities. Vegas is probably the only place on earth where building a stadium actually makes sense. It was the one era we didn't have in our quiver in terms of the entertainment world. And now we got it. So, you know, I'd say, uh, yeah, theoretically, the Olympics would be great. In reality, watch out. It can be a little, it can be a little rough. In closing, I want to thank Michael Walsh, Chris Zunis, and Perry Ursum for being here today. Tina, Matthias. Stater, thank you so much. Uh, it's clear that, one, our worlds intersect between economic development and the commercial real estate development industry. I'm hopeful that this is the first of many conversations, and even more hopeful it's the first of many actions to come in shaping our community because we're better than that. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, 
please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you, and tune in next time.